If you want warmth, you must stand near the fire. If you want strength, you must withstand the weight. Like raw metal, through force and flame, we are tested. As the hammer falls, we are shaped, bent, made into something new. From scrap to substance, from crude to crafted, with every strike, formed and made with purpose. If you want faith, you must be forged, refined by fire. Good morning, church. Good morning. And welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called Forged. And I, I love this series. And you know, the first time I saw that trailer, I thought we had kind of stolen it from History Channel, right? You know, it's like that Iron and Fire show and the blacksmith and everything else. But our video team actually went to Murfreesboro and found a guy who's an actual blacksmith. So this is Blacksmith Jim, and uh, he does this, this kind of thing, and he's always at work. And so they we just went out there and they shot this video with him or talking to him. And the guy's a believer. And he's a follower of Jesus, and he's like, yeah. He goes, man, I you know, open our home to when people are going through times of grief and struggle. And, I mean, we just fell in love with this guy. It was great. But I love this whole idea of forge because what he's doing, right, he's taking this raw material, this metal, this iron. I mean, it's just something raw. It's ordinary. And yet he's molding it and refining it with the fire, and he's making something beautiful out of it. And it's the only what God does in our lives. It's God takes us in the ordinary and God challenges us and he changes us through the refinement of our dreams and our family, our circumstances. And he does all this for his glory. And we're a work in progress. You know, God has a goal for your life. You know that? I mean, God has a goal for your life. And his goal is this, is that you would be conformed into the image of his son. That your life would look more and more like Jesus. And so God refines us in that. And he uses different things and that come along the way and circumstances and challenges and opportunities to refine us. But we are all being made into something beautiful. And it's only God who could do that in our lives. And I love that. I love seeing God work and seeing God move. Now, last week, Pastor Jason, our campus pastor at Nolensville, was here. He did a great job kind of setting up this series. Because in this series, we're walking with this guy named Joseph. All right, now it's not the earthly dad of Jesus. We're going back old school. We're going back to Genesis. And we're looking at this guy who has like 13 chapters in the Bible. I mean, this guy's an all-star, okay? But he went through some challenging things. He went through some difficulties. He went through some hard times. But instead of it making him bitter, it made him better. And God refined him so much so that he gets to the end of his life and he looks back and kind of our scripture memory verse, Joseph says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? What you intended for harm, God intended for good, the saving of many lives. And that we could get a place in our lives where we can look back and go, God, you were faithful. And I didn't understand how that was gonna go. I didn't understand that relationship or I didn't understand that crisis. But God, you were doing something bigger in me and you were molding me. So here's just a quick recap from last week. If you're taking notes, you might wanna write some things down. But Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. All right, Joseph's a great grandson. Remember Abraham, he's kind of the patriarch, right? You know, God said, leave your country, your people, and go to a land I will show you, and I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And Abraham is the one who started this whole walk by faith thing. Okay, God, I'll trust you. I'll follow you. 
I'll follow you. And, and, and just this amazing journey. And so he gets there to the promised land, and God says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And Abraham's like, uh, God, I don't have any kids. I don't know how you're going to do that. And God's going, uh, you just wait. Hold on to me. But Abraham, like many of us, kind of ran ahead of God and said, well, God, since you're not going to do it, I'll make it happen. And he sleeps with his maidservant, Hagar, and has a son, Ishmael. And God's going, why did you do that? And we're still seeing the effects of that even today. But God comes through on his promise and gives him a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob has 12 sons. So Joseph is one of the 12 brothers who became the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So this is significant. I mean, this is impacting, history impacting here. But he's one of these 12 sons, becomes one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Joseph's dad loves him more than any of his other brothers. Genesis 37, it tells us that. And, And Pastor Jason did a great job last week kind of setting that up because Jacob had four wives, all wrong, not what it should have been, but he did, and he loved one more than the other. And so when Joseph was the firstborn to her, Rachel, then he loves him. And Joseph's 17 years old. When you pick up the story, he's the 11th out of the 12 brothers, but he's the one that Joseph's dad loves the most, and he makes him this coat of many colors, right? Some of you may remember Andrew Lord Weber's and the Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor dream coat. That's where this is from. So he makes him this beautiful coat. Now, what it was probably like was everybody had a coat because you needed it to sleep and those things. But this coat had brilliant colors, but it also had sleeves. And it kind of represented management versus labor. So here's this kid, the 11th of the 12, right? And he says, hey, you're going to be the leader. You're going to be in management, you know? And that went over really well with the brothers. You can imagine But what we see is this, is that our past impacts our present. Our past impacts our present. And Jacob, the dad, there was favoritism in his family. His mom loved him more than his brother. His dad loved his brother more than him. And so he just takes that and passes it down to his family. And all of us, we have good things that have been passed down from our family of origin. But there's probably some baggage that has come with it too. And what we have to determine is this, is that, hey, I'm not going to pass that down. I'm going to stop that. And some people go, well, that's just the way my family is. That's just what we do. You know, well, I'm going to tell you, you be the one to be the first generation and say, no, we want to be godly. But he passes down this favoritism. He passes it down and it impacts. We're going to see that today. It impacts in a negative way, in a big way, all of his family. Now, here's the thing we saw last week, too, is this, is that God gives Joseph dreams, God gives Joseph dreams. One dream he had was, he's like, hey, brothers, we were all in this wheat field and my, my sheaf rose up and all your sheaves started bowing down to me. What do you think that is? That went over really well, right? You know, they're like, what do you mean, man? You know, and uh, then he goes, hey, I had another dream. Hey, mom, dad, there was a sun and a moon and 11 stars and they were all bowing down to my star. What do you think that means? And like, really? Okay, you don't have to share that, okay? <laughs> Just FYI, gotta keep that to yourself. But God was given a dream. He says, Joseph, I got big plans for you. And, and, and I wanna tell you, in every one of our lives, God's given us some dreams. God's given you dreams, right? And maybe it's for, you know, family one day. Maybe it's to make it a big impact for Christ. Maybe it's a ministry you're starting. Maybe it's a book to write. Maybe it's, you know, more kids. I don't know what it is. 
but hold on to those dreams because God will accomplish those in his timing. And Joseph at 17 has these dreams and he begins to hold on to it and just saying, okay, God, I don't know how this is all gonna play out, but God, I'm gonna trust you. Here's what we see is this, is Joseph was a work in progress. And so are we. So are we. You know what? God was forging him and God is forging us. And we see that God was forging him through his dreams. Today we're gonna see God's forging him even through his family and even through some challenges and some really hard stuff that we're gonna unpack today. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, invite you open with me to the book of Genesis. First book of the Bible, very beginning, Genesis. We're gonna be in chapter 37, Genesis chapter 37. Last week we were in verses one through 11 and today we're gonna start in verse 12. We'll go through the end of the chapter today. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some Bibles in the back. Love for you to take one. Write your name in it. It's yours. Love to give that to you. We'll also put the scripture on the screens uh, so you can follow along. Or if you have a mobile device, you can access the scripture at version. But pick up here, Genesis 37, verse 12. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Israel is actually his dad. His dad's name, Jacob, is changed to Israel. God changes his name. So the 12 tribes of Israel... And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come and I'm going to send you to them. So just kind of pick up what's happening here, right? The brothers are out working. They're shepherding the flocks. Joseph's back at home with dad. And dad's like, hey, I'm going to send you out there, right? Management, you know, you go out and check on the labor, see how they're doing. 17, really good. Uh, Right, so Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. So Joseph's just kind of out wandering the countryside. He's looking for his brothers. You know, he's like, okay, no big deal. You know, we're going to check on them, see how they're doing. Everything's good. Now, all of a sudden, verse 18, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached him, they plotted to kill him. Okay, wait, this story just went to a whole different level, right? I mean, it's like everything was fine, and then all of a sudden, they plotted to kill their own brother. Here comes that dreamer. They didn't like those dreams. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, when Reuben heard this, now Reuben's the firstborn, so he kind of realized, I got responsibility here. He heard this and he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, okay? So these guys have no remorse. I mean, these, these are like the 12 tribes of Israel, but these were kind of some bad dudes in the beginning, all right? I mean, God has to work on them in an amazing way, but but they just sit down to eat their meal. They just threw their brother in a cistern and they're talking about killing him and now they're eating their meal. And then they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. 
Now we could kind of go back into history and study that Abraham, Ishmael, right? And then the promise through Isaac. It, you're seeing Ishmaelites right here. So they see them and their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, so here's Judah. Now Reuben makes some big mistakes. So he's kind of like firstborn, but, but the line of Jesus actually goes through Judah. And Judah kind of steps up here and starting to think, how am I going to save this kid's life? He says, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. Like, really, guys? You know, you just sold him into slavery, and now you're coming to comfort your dad? They came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And we're going to see that next week and what happens to Joseph in Egypt with Potiphar and his family. But what I want you to see this morning is this right here. I want you to see that in our family, in our family, many of us, we have great families, praise God. And they've passed on some great things to us, praise God. But I also want you to see that in our families or in all of our relationships, conflict is inevitable. <laughs> conflict is inevitable. Some of us, we don't like conflict, right? We just don't like it. We don't want to deal with it. But the fact of the matter is there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict in marriage. Newsflash. I don't know if you guys know that, but you know, that's just like an FYI, just helpful hint. It's gonna happen, right? You've got two imperfect people. We're living in a broken world. There's gonna be some conflict. There's gonna be conflict raising teenagers. I don't know if you know that, but it's gonna be conflict. It's gonna happen. I, it's just gonna happen. There's a fight for moving from dependence to independence. It's gonna happen, right? You know, and, and none of these things are bad. It's just reality. Knocks at the door and says there's gonna be conflict. There's gonna be conflict at work. Right? There's going to be conflict in all of our relationships, and we don't want that, and we don't like that, but it's inevitable it'll happen. There's a great book called Sacred Marriage, and, uh, and the author says this, that God gives us marriage not just to make us happy, but to make us holy. And it's true. I mean, praise God for marriage, and I love, I love, I love, I love my wife. She is awesome. But God gives us marriage not just to make us happy, to make us holy. And sometimes there's a refinement that comes there. So when this conflict comes, how do we handle it in a healthy way? All right? Throwing your sibling in a cistern is not a healthy way. All right? Selling them to somebody is not a healthy way. Going on Jerry Springer, not a healthy way. Okay? That's not the way you handle conflict. But when conflict comes, how do you handle it in a healthy way? 
How do you handle it in a way that's going to make us more like Jesus? That's the goal. All right, so we're going to look at it from the perspective of the brothers. Look at this. How do you handle conflict? Because they had conflict with Joseph. But notice this, number one, you pray. You pray. You're like, we're, we're in church. I knew you were going to say that. But, but, but listen, there is no record of Joseph's brothers ever praying about their course of action. There's not. Right? And they're in a godly family. I mean, they're with a patriarch, Abraham, right? Isaac, Jacob, and now these guys. But they never stop to think and pray about it. Hey, God, it bothers us that Joseph acted like that. Hey, God, it bothers us that our dad's like showing favoritism here. They, They never pray about it. They just want to fix it. And guys, so many times we're fixers, aren't we? If there's conflict, we're like, we're going to fix it. We're going to take care of it. We're going to handle it. We're going to make it happen. We're going to deal with it. And then we get angry. What if we just stopped and took a step back and just say, let me pray about this. Let me pray about this conflict right now with, with my child or with my spouse or with my coworker. Or let me just pray about this right now. Let me just bring that before the Lord. Let me pray about it. Prayer is where it starts. Anytime there's a conflict, if our immediate reaction is, hey, let me pray about this. Let me pray about this right now. Sometimes we go, well, I prayed about it and nothing happened, you know. But God's timing is not our timing. Remember that? It's his timing. Here's the second one. Second one, think of the other person. Joseph's brothers never put themselves in his place. Think about the other person. This wasn't Joseph's fault that his dad favored him. He didn't do anything. He didn't come out of the womb going, hey, what about me? You know, it's like, no. It was his dad. It was his dad who was passing that down. But, but it wasn't Joseph's fault that his dad made a robe for him, right? It wasn't Joseph's fault that he was the golden child. It wasn't, wasn't his fault. And in fact, if his brothers really thought about it, they would have gone for it. They'd been like, yeah, sign me up for that. But they never stopped to think about that other person. Sympathy, right, is feeling sorry for somebody. Empathy is putting ourselves in their place. And when you're in a conflict, hey, put yourself in their place. Hey, how, why are they feeling this? Why are they saying this? Why are they doing this? Let me, let me kind of put myself there for a moment. Let me not just think about me. Let me think about them. Here's the third one. Identify your own struggles. Okay, this is where it kind of amps up a little bit, right? Identify your own struggles. Right? If there's a relationship, there's conflict, then there's going to be two parts to play in this. Joseph's brothers never identified their own jealousy. In fact, think about it. Joseph has no clue he's done anything wrong. Joseph's just kind of bebopping through, you know, he's the countryside. Hey, guys, where are you? He has no clue. None. And these guys, they're mad. Have you ever thought about it? many times we have a problem with somebody, maybe they're at work, or maybe at home or something like that, and we will lay awake at night, and we'll have these arguments in our head, and we're like, I wish they just, you know, nah, 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 nah. we're going back and forth, and they don't even have a clue. They didn't even know they did anything wrong. They're just over there down on their merry way, and we're over here just eating up with it. And at some point, we got to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. That's my struggle. That's my struggle. Why don't I go to them and say, hey, you know what? When you say this, this kind of makes me feel, you know, not great. Can we talk about this? But no, we want to argue in our mind, and they don't even know. The thing about it, right, when we point the finger at somebody, there's really three fingers pointing back at us. And we have to come back and say, maybe I've got jealousy. Maybe I've got envy. Maybe there's something in me. 
There's a lady in our church. She's a marriage and family counselor. She's amazing. She's wonderful. And I'm telling you, I'm such a believer in counseling. And we have Cindy Hayes, who's on our staff, who is awesome. And, and, and she counsels many couples here, many families here. And we've seen God just do miracles and bring healing. But this lady said, you know, Jeff, whenever somebody comes in and they're coming in for marriage counseling, I can tell if we're going to make progress or not. On the first time, if they come in and all they're doing is blaming their spouse, blame, 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 and they never own anything, then I'm always like, yeah, it's going to be a long journey. <laughs> but when they come in and they say, hey, listen, we're struggling, we're having a hard time, then I go, okay, we're going to make progress. We're going to make progress. And for us to start to identify, hey, I've got a part to play in this too. I've got a part to play in this too. Number four is this, believe the best. Believe the best. Joseph's brothers they could have done the right thing. They could have gone to Joseph. Hey, Joseph, listen, let me talk to you about this. I mean, Joseph's just a naive kid, right? He's a teenager. He's 17. He doesn't think about, hey, maybe I shouldn't wear this robe when I'm going out to check on my brothers. That's probably not going to go over real well. They could have sat down with him and said, Joe, listen, it really bothers us when you do this. But they didn't do it. Believe the best. Sometimes we, if Lisa and I get into a disagreement, my wife, she's amazing, and I love her, but sometimes if we get in a disagreement, at some point one of us looks at each other and goes, wait, 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 we're on the same team, right? We're on the same team. You know, we want the best for each other. We want the best for our family. We want the best. Yes, let's go for it. You're right, let's go. How are we gonna work this out? How are we gonna do that? Believe the best. And then number five is this, put others before yourself. Oh, this is a different level of spiritual maturity. Put others before yourself. See, that's big. And Joseph's brothers never did that. They were upset that Joseph had this dream. And so then all of a sudden, they took it to a different level, right? They're like, we're going to win. We're going to show that dreamer. We're going to get him. Well, good job, guys. You won. <laughs> Soldier brother. You broke your dad's heart. Congratulations. You know, way to go. What do you get? Nothing but ruining your family or ruining your life and the guilt that all of a sudden now they're seeing their dad's heart broken and they're going, ah, and they're going to struggle with this until later on and they find grace and hope and redemption later on. But for all of us, I mean, what's the win? What's the win? And to look and say, hey, let me put others before yourself. Hey, spiritual leadership is making the people around you better. Spiritual leadership is how can I build up my family? How can I build up my marriage? How can I build up the people at work? How can I not worry about if my boss has a favorite? How can I build them up? How can I encourage them and say, hey, Joseph, that was great. You got those dreams. God's obviously doing something in your life. Hey, we want to come around you and encourage you and support you. I don't have to win. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be recognized. Hold on. There's a bigger picture here. Look over the New Testament with me. Because we are all being molded, being forged into what? Image of Jesus, right? So come with me to Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two, and look at this. It says in verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. <laughs> do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Not some things, not a little bit to make myself look better. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, 
Okay? So this is speaking to us, right? Because there's going to be conflict that's going to happen. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. And what that's saying is the divinity of Christ. Jesus in heaven, I mean, it's awesome. It's perfect, right? But he didn't say, I'm going to stay here. What did he do? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Jesus left the throne room of heaven to come down to earth for you and me. For you and me. I mean, how incredible is that? When we were dead in our sins, when we were in our total depravity, God sends his son to us. And he didn't just come and live in a palace. He took the very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, exclamation point. Jesus didn't just die. He died on a cross, the worst possible way to die. Therefore, God exalted him. Therefore, what? Because Jesus came and put others. Jesus came and sacrificed himself for us. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. That's our goal. That's our direction. That's our call. And for you and I, if we begin to live like that in all of our relationships, what a difference it will make. What a difference it will make. Here's the key. Here's the key. The key to family dynamics is humility. The key to family dynamics is humility. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself, like, oh, I'm terrible, me. That's not humility. Humility is thinking of yourself less. <laughs> like, what can I do for them? How can I serve them? How can I help them? How can I empower them? How can I encourage them? How can I build them up? That's the key. That's the way it should work, right? Whereas Joseph's dad gave him a coat of many colors, he should have taught all of his sons to clothe themselves with humility. Joseph's dad just passed this favoritism thing on. Instead of saying, hey, guys, let me teach you. The men in the room, dads in the room, man, we've got this call. Moms in the room, our call. Grandparents in the room, our call. What are we passing on? What are we teaching? It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, above all else, clothe yourself with humility. What if we're getting dressed in the morning and, man, we just start to, hey, I'm not just going to put on a shirt or pants. I'm going to put on humility today. I'm going to walk into the office. I'm going to, I want to serve the people around me. I want to build them up. I want to encourage them. I'm going to walk into my marriage. I want to walk into my roommate. I want to walk in with my kid. I want to, I want to encourage them. I want to encourage them. I want to pass that along. I want to encourage them in this humility thing. See, the impact of generational sin. And Jacob just passing down that favoritism. And it comes down, it's generational sin. And some people will say, well, I've got that in my family, right? We, alcoholism or abuse or addiction or, and we just kind of pass that down. Well, stop. You can be the one to change that. You can be the one to say, hey, this doesn't have to continue. And Joseph does. We're going to see later on. I don't want to ruin it for you. Spoiler alert, because it's going to be incredible, but he's going to impact his family in an incredible way. And these guys who are just like bad dudes right now, they're going to change because of him. But you and I, we all have that opportunity. 
And we don't have to just say, well, it's the way it is. It's the way we are. No, 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 no. Because of Christ, I am a new creation. And there can be something new in my family and the relationships that I have. Are there any relationships that you need to mend? You know, as we've talked about this today, maybe God's put somebody on your heart and you just say, you know what, I need to mend that. I need to step into that. I've been handling that conflict the wrong way. I'm pushing them away. I want to go to them. I want to have a relationship. I want to talk. I want to discuss. I want it to be healthy. I want it to be right. That's what God wants for all of us. That's what God wants for all of us. If you come back to that last verse in Genesis 37, that last verse just says, meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, right? And meanwhile, Joseph, think about this. His brothers are out there having all this discussion. They're throwing him into cisterns. One's trying to rescue him. Another's trying to sell him, you know, and they're eating their food. But what about Joseph? Joseph's just down in this pit. He didn't do anything wrong. He's a teenager. He's just trying to figure out life, right? And yet he's in a pit. Some of you, some of you, you may find yourself in a pit today, a place you did not expect. Some of you, there's been things in your family that have been handed down to you. There's been good things, but there's also been some struggles. And it's had a huge impact on you. And it's not your fault, nothing you did, but you find yourself in that pit. What do you do there? Well, you realize that God didn't cause that, but you also realize this. You remember that God is with you. God is with you. And you look back through your life and you go, God, you've been with me through some of the hardest times. And maybe I find myself in a difficult time today, but God, you're with me. And God, you're for me. And God, you won't give up on me. Get this today. Get this. Your current circumstances are not the end of God's story for you. Your current circumstances are not the end of God's story for you. For Joseph, man, it had to look bleak down in a cistern, down in a pit. It had to look bleak when he was being sold as a slave and he's going to Egypt and he's away from his family and everybody he knows and he's like, what just happened? What is going on? But, but listen, his current circumstances were not the end of God's story. And the same is true with you. And maybe you find yourself in a place today where you thought, man, I never thought I'd be here. But I want you to know this, God's with you. And God's writing a bigger story than you could dream or even imagine because God's doing something bigger in your life. So you hold on to him. You hold on to him. With everything you have, hold on because God is with you and he will redeem and he will restore and he'll make things right, make things new. You know, our guys, our video team, we were out there with Blacksmith Jim, and Blacksmith Jim was taking this iron, and he was heating it up, and, and after a while, he pulled out of the fire, and he pulled this, this cross, this cross, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and he handed it to our guys, and says, this is it. This is what I was making. And you know, as you look at your life, God's shaping us to be like Jesus who came to serve, who came to love, who came to give his life, who poured into others. And that's what God's doing in you. He's forging you, he's shaping you, he's molding you. God has an incredible plan and purpose for you. You hold on to him. God's not finished with your story. You hold on to him.
I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are in your marriage. I don't know where you are with your family, with your kids. I don't know where you are at work. I don't know where you are with your roommates. But I know this, God's with you. In the good times and the tough times, God's with you. And God's calling you to hold on to him because he's writing a bigger story. A worship team is going to come and we're going to have a time to just respond back to the Lord. I want to encourage you, if, maybe if you're sitting by your spouse, maybe reach out and grab their hand or if you're with your kids or if you're with a friend, maybe put a hand on a shoulder. Or... But guys, we're on this journey. And we're better together. And God's at work in us. Hold on to him. Hold on to him. And if you find yourself in a pit, don't give up. Don't give up. God is with you and God is for you. And the decisions that you will make, they don't only impact you, they impact so many others. They impact so many others. So do the right thing and follow and trust and go forward in Christ. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just, just for a moment. Right where you are. Would you just say, God, here I am. Here I am. God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the joy of my heart. God, I thank you that you're with me and that you're not finished with me. Maybe right now where you sit, there's some conflict. You just bring it before the Lord, pray. God, here it is. God, I give this to you. God, use me at my family. God, use me with my friends. God, use me at my work. God, I'm yours. I don't have to win. I don't have to be right. God, I just want to point people to you. You're the only one who can change a heart. You're the only one who can bring hope. You're the only one who can bring help. So God, I'm going to praise you. <laughs> whether I'm in a pit, or whether things are great, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. So, Father, right now, here we are, your disciples. And we've come to hear your word today, God. We've come to reorder our lives around your will for us, not our own. God, I pray that you would draw us close to your heart. I pray, Father, for all our relationships. You bring healing and redemption and grace. I pray that we would be godly, that we would be healthy, and that, God, you would use us. Father, to point people to you. So this morning we praise you. And we just declare, we make this declaration, I will praise you. Because these circumstances are not the end of the story. I will praise you. And it's in your name that we respond back to you.